Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Morning. <laughs> um, I, am, I am feeling slightly under the weather this morning. I am, actually, hopefully you can hear I have a cold. Um, I, am, I began the descent into darkness on Tuesday with a sore throat and a slightly tickly cough. It became kind of full-blown, all-out man flu Friday morning. Um, it turns out my, my wife doesn't have lots of sympathy when I'm ill. I, um, I said, Alice, look, I probably got about half an hour left to live. Maybe we should change, maybe we should not clean the flat. I didn't get the sympathy that I felt like it deserved. Um, I also, I've not had my, um, my TB jab, so this could be full-on TB, and I could be infecting the whole room. So if that's the case, I, I warned you, and there was the door, and none of you took it, so... Uh, we're talking about uh, justice this morning, and I don't know what your relationship with justice is like, but for me, uh, I can often get really, really overwhelmed with the subject of justice. I, uh, I turn on the TV, uh, and on the TV I see uh, the American election on repeat, uh, and I see um, people with little integrity and fewer morals um, declaring kingdoms and cultures and ways of living, and I I look at that and I think there is no justice in that situation. And then I, um, I open the newspaper and I, I read about uh, another um, bomb going off in Syria and Aleppo and the, the whole situation there just disintegrating. We hear about uh, religious persecution all over the world. Uh, injustice being visited on people who are uh, poor, vulnerable, marginalised, who have uh, no voice that's respected of their own. Uh, and I feel overwhelmed by injustice sometimes. Maybe uh, you do as well. I think uh, for us in our Western culture, it's really easy for us to think that um, justice and injustice is something that happens uh, in a different time zone, in a different place, in a different culture. Uh, today, I don't want us to get too overwhelmed by what's happening around the world, but to recognize that justice is an issue that affects every single one of us in this room today. Uh, and that we're all continually making decisions about whether we will or won't live just lives. Now, there's lots and lots of different definitions of justice, uh, and I, I recognise in this room there are people who um, have given an awful lot of thought to issues of justice, and um, it's their job and their way of living. Um, I want to kind of tentatively offer my definition of justice that will kind of help us set the course. Uh, I think that um, justice is about making sure that people and places are treated in a way that's consistent with how God views them and making sure that people and places are treated in a way that's consistent with how God views them. 
I think often that the thing we drop off that is we forget about places. Uh, we forget that we live in a, a world that's a, a gift from God that he's generously created for us, uh, and yet we consume it, we trash it, we destroy it, um, and we live our lives in a way that isn't actually focused around uh, climate justice, uh, around making sure that we are um, honouring and respecting the gift that God has given us. I think um, for today we'll, we'll take justice uh, as ensuring that people and places are treated in a way that's consistent with how God views them. And we're talking about justice in the context of worship because it's impossible to do anything but talk about justice in the context of worship. Uh, If we want to live lives of justice, by definition, we are living lives of worship. Uh, When we uh, worship God, we say, uh, God, you are uh, King, Jesus, your Lord, you are Christ. Uh, You are the the highest reality, the ultimate authority in our lives. And we want to uh, live and engage with the world in the way that you would have fit. If we're doing that, then by definition, we live lives of justice. I don't know about you, but I spend quite a lot of time criticizing and critiquing set lists on a Sunday. Um, I I have far-ranging and um, deeply narrow-minded opinions about the kind of songs that we should and shouldn't sing on a Sunday. Um, Maybe maybe you do what um, I sometimes provoke in our house, which is a a deep deconstruction of the set list and whether I liked the songs that we sang on Sunday. Um, We did it when I was growing up, um, and it's a trait that I proudly carry on now into my old age. but, but so, I'm 26, 26 on Tuesday. Alice said I'm almost 30. It's, it's not cool, is it? Every, someone pointed out that my, um, my brain has now stopped creating and it's now just disintegrating. And when you've, when you've reached that point, you know, it's just man flu and out, isn't it, really? But, but we, I, we, maybe you, spend so long critiquing a Sunday set list and having opinions about the kind of songs that we sing and yet, If someone came to me and said, yeah, but are you living a just life? Are you living in a way that um, treats people and places uh, in a manner that's consistent with how God views them? So often I would fall short, and yet I I hold our worship leaders to an outrageously high and unfair standard sometimes. Uh, Are we living lives of justice? Are we living lives that are uh, an overflow of God's love and care and concern for each of us? Uh, We're continually making decisions around whether we will be just people or not. You've, you've made countless decisions already this morning before you got here to church. When you uh, got up out of bed and you had a shower, uh, the kind of um, soap that you use is a justice decision. Do you use soap with microbees that go and clog up the oceans or do you use something that's a bit more ethical and eco-aware? When you go and eat your breakfast... The kind of food that we have has implications in terms of climate change and justice. I was talking with a, a friend a while ago, and they live um, down in the south of England. And they said that uh, on lots of the farms around them, it's an open secret that there are trafficked people working those farms, c- creating and uh, producing food that lands up in our supermarkets on an hour plates. The kind of food that we put in our bodies has justice implications. Uh, the kind of clothes that each of us are wearing today has justice implications. I was talking with a, another friend, and he was pointing out um, that the overwhelming majority of clothes that we wear has at some point been touched by a slave. Just let that settle in for a moment. The kind of choices we make about the clothes that we wear leads to some people being in slavery. 
We can't pretend that justice happens in places like India, Afghanistan, in the continent of Africa. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, we make justice decisions. Whether you made the decision to, to drive um, to church or, or walk to church today was a justice decision. Uh, often, uh, we don't just perpetuate injustice, but injustice is visited against us as well. Uh, you know that when someone nicks your car parking space. Maybe as you were driving and, you, and your place was a nightmare and you were about to turn in onto Albany Lane and grab a parking space and then someone just snuck in and they stole your parking space. Uh, sometimes we, we feel injustices happening to each of us. In our relationships, we make justice decisions. In our homes, in our workplaces. Uh, maybe you've been passed over for things because you didn't quite look right. Maybe you were the wrong gender. Maybe you were discriminated against because of your sexuality, the color of your skin. Day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, we are caught up in decisions of justice. Justice encapsulates everything that we are. So if we're serious about living lives that are focused around worship, we have to start to work out how we're going to live justly in this world. How we're going to make sure that people are treated in a way that's consistent with how God would have them treated. Justice is an expression of the heart of God. Justice is an expression of the heart of God. It expresses how he feels about people, how he cares about people. Uh, we can uh, say that we're Christians all that we want, that we um, believe and trust in a loving God, but unless we live lives that are worship, unless we live lives that are just and focused around expressing God's heart on treating people and places in a way that's consistent with how he views them, uh, our words don't carry a lot of weight. Uh, and today's passage is all about justice. Uh, Jesus is coming back uh, from 40 days in the wilderness. Um, he's been tried and tested, uh, and the devil has been um, trying to um, make him abandon and desert his relationship with God. Uh, he's been trying to um, get him to put his um, trust and his relationship with God, um, uh, make that focused around uh, achievement and gain and acquiring things. Uh, and Jesus has resisted. Uh, and now Jesus is returning, he's coming back to Galilee, to his hometown. This is Jesus right at the start of his ministry. And before Jesus does anything else, he's prioritised connection with God. Uh, before Jesus starts to talk about um, justice, about the way that we should live and engage with this world, Jesus has prioritised his connection, his relationship with God. So before we get on to justice, uh, how's your relationship with God? Uh, how's your connection uh, are you uh, spending time with him? Are you letting him uh, change and transform your heart, your attitudes, your minds? Uh, Jesus uh, does everything from a place of connection with God first. Uh, so uh, how's your connection with God? How's your relationship with him? Uh, and Jesus is on a, a mission. Uh, he's ready to, to get things going. And the place that Jesus goes to uh, is the most familiar place to him. He goes to his um, home region, then to his hometown, and then to his home synagogue. Uh, this is Jesus' Hamden Park. This is his um, natural territory, the place that at that time of his life he would have been uh, best known and best recognized. Uh, everyone knows who Jesus is, and there's a, there's a clamor and there's an excitement around Jesus. Uh, because uh, everyone in that synagogue wants to know, is, is Jesus the, the real deal? Uh, is he who um, people say and think he is or could be. There's a, a rumour that's been going around uh, Israel at this time, and it, it's that there's no prophet, there's never been any prophet that's come from Galilee. 
Uh, and so the people of Galilee want to know, is Jesus a prophet? Uh, is he the person who's going to um, restore honour to our town, restore honour to our region? Uh, is he going to be accepted as a, a mouthpiece for God? Uh, and so the, the people are, are ready and eager to hear what it is that Jesus has to say. Verse 20 says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And it, it starts so well. Verse 21 says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Uh, Jesus has gone into the synagogue uh, and everyone is listening. They're engaged in what Jesus has to say. They want to know if their hometown boy has what it takes. Uh, they want to know if he's the prophet that's going to restore honor to their town. Uh, so uh, everyone is glued to him. They're hanging on his every word. But the, the problem with Jesus is he, he, he quickly acquires crowds and then he immediately disappoints them and they leave. Uh, because uh, just a, a few verses later, it says this, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. In the space of 14 verses, Jesus goes from a hometown hero to a dangerous heretic who needs to be thrown off the edge of a cliff. That has to be one of the quickest, quicker than um, Sam Allardyce or anyone like that. That's one of the quickest falls from grace that you could ever have imagined. He does it in 14 verses. Uh, he acquires an incredible crowd who are hanging on his every word. And then Jesus is immediately so controversial and so challenging that people think it's better to throw this man off a cliff than let him propagate the dangerous lies they believe Jesus is telling. It's a reminder for us that we're called to live lives of justice, not popularity. We're called to live lives that are focused around God's justice and not around what will make us look better. Not what will get us up the career ladder faster. Not what will get our kids into the school that we're desperate for them to be in. Uh, we're called to live lives that are devoted around God's justice, expressing God's heart for this world and treating people and places in a way that's consistent with how he lives, how he loves them. So do you do that? Do your lives reflect that? Uh, are you making decisions that you know make things more challenging and more difficult for you? But you recognize that, that because, you're, because of your relationship with God, because of your love for him, you don't have much choice in it because you want to express God's heart wherever you go. But we're called to live lives of justice, not popularity. Uh, and while Jesus is in the synagogue, um, he, he reads from the scriptures. Uh, he's come back from the wilderness and he's invited to read in the synagogue. Uh, and Jesus is, um, when Jesus is invited, he's given permission to choose the passage. Jesus gets to pick the text that he reads in the synagogue. That's important because we know that Jesus isn't just um, reading whatever was set before him, but he has made a deliberate decision about what he's going to read. He's coming from the wilderness. In the synagogue, he's, he's almost announcing the start of his ministry. So we know the text that Jesus chooses to read has huge significance for the kind of kingdom that he's announcing. And Jesus could have chosen uh, any text that he wanted from the Torah. Uh, he, could have, uh, he could have chosen uh, to read Moses leading the, Egyptians out of, leading the Israelites out of slavery. He could have read the story of Abraham and Isaac. He could have read the story of Jericho and the walls coming, crashing down. He could have read uh, stories about Noah. He could have read stories about anointed and appointed kings. He could have read um, stories about people being um, successful and powerful and influential. Jesus could have read any kind of muscular Bible story that he wanted to. And yet Jesus reads a story about justice. He reads a passage from Isaiah about justice. 
about being good news for the poor, about freedom for the oppressed, about recovery of sight for the blind, about the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is telling us the kind of kingdom that he's announcing. He's telling us the kind of kingdom that he's announcing, the kind of savior that he's going to be, the kind of people, therefore, he calls each of us to be as well. He could have picked any story he wanted, any passage, any scripture, and yet Jesus picks this passage, these verses. Jesus is announcing the kind of kingdom that's coming. He says there's going to be freedom for the recovery of sight for the blind. Now, Jesus, I believe, literally does mean blind people. We pray and um, blind people are healed. But I think there's a, a broader meaning behind that as well. There's, there's blindness and there's prejudice within each of us. And by the power in the name of Jesus, uh, we can be made well again. We can see. Jesus is saying uh, there's freedom for the prisoner. I think Jesus literally does mean that there is a freedom available for people in chains in prisons, that God is wanting to do something through our prisons. I think he also means there's a freedom for those of us who are pressed by circumstances in our life. Uh, maybe um, you are or you know someone who's addicted to drugs, who's an alcoholic, who's addicted to sex, to gambling. Uh, Jesus comes and he proclaims freedom for each of those people. Uh, maybe you're here and you feel oppressed by your um, need to perform, uh, your need to succeed and reach the top of the career ladder and be as impressive as you possibly can be. Jesus is announcing freedom for you from that. Uh, maybe you live your life around uh, what's fashionable and cool and what will get you the biggest, most influential circle of friends. Jesus is announcing freedom for you from that. Jesus says, I am good news for the poor. Poverty is multifaceted. It's, um, it's physical, it's emotional, it's financial. There's a, a whole wealth of poverty. Each of us at different points in our life uh, will be and have been touched by poverty. Jesus is good news for those who are poor. At the start of Jesus' message after reading this, he says, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying that through me, all of this is possible. This passage just took on flesh and blood. Jesus is good news for the poor. Jesus is recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus is freedom for the oppressed. And Jesus is saying, when you come and you meet with me, that's what you meet with. That's the kind of values that you meet with. That's the kind of king and the kind of kingdom that he's building and establishing. So whenever, um, if you resonate with any of those, that means that you are the victim of an injustice that God is wanting to change. He's wanting to subvert. He's wanting to see you freed from. That kind of kingdom is deeply, deeply controversial. as the kind of kingdom that we don't see in this world at the moment. If we look across the Atlantic, we see um, people announcing um, kingdoms and empires that are built on something completely different. They're built on um, building large walls between North America and Mexico so we can keep people out and we can bring division. Uh, it's a kingdom built uh, on demeaning women and calling it locker talk. As if, if it was locker talk, that would make it acceptable. As if that's the kind of standard that we want to hold our men to. As if that's acceptable. And then we look at our own country and our own culture and we, we see that the, one of the largest humanitarian crises is developing over the Channel Tunnel and yet, to a large extent, we appear to be unmoved. It's easy to throw mud at America, isn't it? But when it's in our country and our nation and we stay silent, it gets a bit more awkward, doesn't it? It gets a bit trickier. And yet, we're called to be people of justice. 
We're called to seek the justice that God longs for. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is radical, it's subversive, it doesn't guarantee popularity, it thins the crowd wherever you go. But it's the kingdom that he wants to bring. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, there are injustices that happen on a daily basis. People get passed over for things. People get rejected, looked across because of the color of their skin, their creed, their sexuality, their race, their religious orientation. All of that's injustice. I, I was, um, me and Alice were out for a, a drink on Tuesday because it was my birthday. Um, I didn't mean, you can send me a card if you want. It's, it's really not too late. Put it in your Get Well Soon card, it'll be fine. <laughs> but we, we were out, um, out in a bar, and these, um, there were four people um, sat uh, to the right of us, and they were um, four um, rather posh, rather well-to-do kind of London city types. Um, and two of the men started talking about uh, a television presenter, uh, Holly Willoughby, you, you might have heard of her. Um, and they were saying, oh gosh, you know, Holly Willoughby's put on a lot of weight recently. Um, she's probably getting a bit too fat for television. Yeah, that's not good, is it? And they, they con- continued to have this discussion around um, how this woman looked and whether that made her acceptable and appropriate or not for television. And I thought, man, at some point, those two women are going to chip in and this is going to go down. This is going to kick off and they're going to correct them and say, you can't speak like that. Those two women endorsed everything they said. They said, yeah, she, she has put on a lot of weight. Yeah, maybe she should think about how that affects her image and the way the world perceives her. We live in a society where that kind of sexism, that kind of gender prejudice is completely acceptable. I, I didn't speak up. I didn't do anything. In that moment, I stayed silent. And I thought my, um, my reaction was completely understandable until this morning in between services, I spoke with Gemma. And Gemma, um, I hadn't told her that story, but she said she was on a, a train, uh, and these, um, these guys in the train carriage were wolf-whistling a woman outside. Now, if that had been me, I would have thought, gosh, what? you guys shouldn't do that, that's unacceptable, but I wouldn't have intervened. If you've met Gemma, you'll know that she intervened. <laughs> and Gemma didn't just intervene because she's from Glasgow and has no idea about social boundaries. <laughs> Gemma, <laughs> let's not put that on Twitter. <laughs> But, but Gemma, uh, Gemma intervened, and those guys gave her um, no attention. They told her to shut up and sit down, and they were dismissive. But you see, Gemma's committed to being a person of justice wherever she goes, and that means that when a person or a place isn't treated in a way that's consistent with how God views them, she has to do something about it. You see, we can be passive and silent all we want, but while we continue to do that, society remains unchanged. The church gets neutered. It has no voice. It remains silent. If you and me, the church, don't speak up and say something. If we don't stand up for the injustices that this nation carries out that happen in our own homes and our own workplaces, that we continue to make day by day. So I want to to challenge you and provoke you today. How are you choosing to live justly? What are the causes, what are the situations that are, are moving you? Do you think that's not right? That's not how God would have this world be. I want to encourage you, first of all, to to pray about those. To pray to ask God to miraculously do something to intervene. But don't stop at praying. I think sometimes when we pray, um, that's our way of saying, God, over to you. I've done my bit, and now um, I can keep my hands clean. Thank you. Um, Because I want to pray about homelessness, but I don't really want to give them any food or take care of them. I I pray about um, children fostering and adopting, but I don't really want to take them to my home. God, I would much rather you sort this problem. And we wash our hands of it, and we say, God, would you do a miracle? But the problem is God already did a miracle. He made you. 
that you are here, that your life is supported and sustained in this world is already a miracle. It's already miraculous. That you are in your workplace, your home, with the relationships and the influence that you have is already miraculous. So let's pray for God to do miracles. Let's pray for God by his spirit to do incredible, impossible things. But then you don't sit on the bench. You get up and you get involved. God is declaring a kingdom of justice and you are his mouthpiece. You're the way that he's going to do that. You're the way that he's going to transform your workplace, your home. That's the way that um, people won't be able to make sexist comments anymore because people from the church are going to get agy about it and say, you can't do that. That's unacceptable. They're going to march up to people on trains and say, you can't wolf whistle through the window. That's not acceptable. That's someone's daughter. That's someone's mother. You don't get to do that. Will you, the church, start to take your place? Will we take our place? Will we not be um, unmoved? Will we not be um, standoffish? We recognize our place in uh, perpetrating injustices. We recognize that sometimes we're the victims of injustice. That sometimes we get looked over, we get passed over. But God's not calling us to be passive. He's calling us to treat people in a way that's consistent with how he views and he feels about them. Amen.